think we all deal with loneliness, right? I mean, we right. all feel alone quite, you know, when we're, and we're all trying to fit in. And when our child is struggling, I think many times we feel like other kids are doing better and that other people are doing better. And so I think what surprised people about this book, several people have said, I thought you had your life together. Like I, I, like people will say, I just had no idea that you were dealing, even my husband. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Talking Your Way to Change. My name is Zan Banker, and I am the host of this show. I'm a licensed psychologist with 23 years of experience and I'm excited to have this platform to educate others about mental health and psychotherapy. Welcome to another episode of Talking Your Way to Change. I'm your host, Dr. Banker. I'm so excited and appreciative to have our guest today, Dr. Katherine Kui. She's a licensed child psychologist who has specialized in neuropsychological assessments and treatment of developmental disorders. She recently founded ADHDNU, which is an outlet supporting youth and families impacted by ADHD. She is the author of Raising Will, Surviving the Brilliance and Blues of ADHD. Her memoir has won three gold book awards. Mm. It made me laugh and it made me cry. I read it twice. Her book, yeah, it was really great. Her book takes you on this journey of raising a child with ADHD and how she navigated school, her home life, um, extended family relationships, and how her son's love for music became the springboard for really launching him into adulthood. Welcome, Catherine. Hi. Thank you for welcoming me. I am so used to seeing you in aerobics. I know. <laughs> That's how we met, I know. right? We take a class together. Yes. And it's so wonderful talking about ADHD with you, and I'm I'm just so happy you reached out. So this is going to be really fun. Fun. Um, I was wondering if we could just start with, if you'd be willing to kind of share with listeners, you know, just a little bit of your professional background working with ADHD and what you're doing now professionally today. Sure. Um So my interest in ADHD started even before I became a parent. Um, I was in graduate school getting my doctorate and I just found myself doing whenever there were opportunities to do research in like research design class or different classes, I just was gravitating towards ADHD. And part of it was I was so interested in children. Um, So I've had a long, long interest. That was over 20 years ago. And then when I was in graduate school, I decided that I wanted to do a fellowship in pediatric neuropsychology. So I worked at this hospital, did a lot of work with kids who'd had cancer and were looking at the effects of chemotherapy on their brains that's kind of a side note. (laughs) But anyway, I've been interested in brain development, neurological development for many, many years. And then I ended up having a son with ADHD. So it's definitely been a calling for me. 
Yes, it sounds yeah. like it. Yes. And so what are you doing now? So my understanding is that you were doing a lot of assessment and therapy. And I just wanted to sort of clarify what, you know, what your path looks like now. So it's a new path. So it's interesting. A lot of people being asking me this question and I haven't ever been on my own professionally. And it's, it's pretty exhilarating to tell you the truth, to be in a place where I can do what I want to do more so. So I am seeing kids and families virtually because of COVID-19. Okay. So I'm seeing parents and children and adolescents and doing family work because my original master's degree was in marriage and family therapy. And I've always been interested in systems and how people work together. I'm sure a lot of that comes from the fact that I came from a family of divorce. And so I've always been very fascinated with relationships and what works and what doesn't and why things fall apart and how to help people communicate better. So I am doing that work and I'm doing some work with assessment and, and I'm really careful about the testing because it's so consuming that it's hard yes. for me to write and I, it's hard for me to write and I want to keep writing creatively and, and that's such a passion of mine, but I, I, I am taking families. I am seeing kids for testing just private pay and really hoping to do no more than two or three a month. So that's that's what that's looking like these days. Dive Before we dive a little bit more deeply in, into your book, I want to shift to your book. But I wanted to comment on how brilliant I thought you were at capturing like, the layers of issues that we deal with as parents mm-hmm. and how that's really fulfilling, but it's really challenging. So I loved how you were like grappling with your son who has ADHD but you were also, you know, o- you were overcoming postpartum depression, um, yeah. loneliness, and your experience of moving to the Midwest, which I'd like to say is I think the reason I was drawn to you in the aerobics class is because you weren't from the Midwest. Oh, and I wow. felt like I just felt like you had this like charm and energy about you. Anyway, um, and you know, the adoption of your daughter. And I was wondering if you purposely kind of included all those aspects of your life to capture the complexities, or you're just a very open and honest person. I did not purposefully do that. Actually, I took, when I started writing, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that, that I am open, but okay. So when I first moved here, okay. Uh, I noticed the cultural difference right away and I felt like, and I had been married to, I married a Minnesotan and his family was so warm with me, but I noticed a lot of things. That's a whole other topic, but I noticed a lot of things. I would like pull a book off of their bookshelf when I was staying with him on like death and dying. (laughs) And they'd be Mm -hmm. like, you don't want to read that. I would say, (laughs) yeah, I do actually. They were like, this is like depressing. Like you don't want to read that. And I, I noticed things like that are differences. I don't even know why they had the book then if it, it, but somehow it was important for them. But anyway, I noticed a lot of differences, but my writing program that I, once I started writing this book, a friend of mine who was a social worker said, have you heard of the Loft Literary Center? I hadn't. So I took a class there 
by Mary Carol Moore. She was one of my first teachers anyway. If you haven't taken classes at The Loft and you're interested in writing and you live around here, do it. I'm sure they're all virtual, but it really will change you. Um, so my yes. teacher... My teacher saw hints of my the cultural layers that I would put in my writing, and they said, this is so important. This makes your book really different. You really, you really need to write at a deeper level about these things. So they pulled out themes in my writing. Interesting. Yes. I think the... I think the wonderful thing about you doing that is I do not have a child with ADHD and I haven't particularly focused on this clinically. Um, but I felt like I could relate to your story so well on other issues because it was so open. So I feel like it's sort of written in a way that you could really have a broader audience oh. really be interested in it and kind of apply some of the similar dynamics to what you struggled with, with whatever they were struggling with yes. as a mother or with a child? Well, I think we all deal with loneliness, right? I mean, we right. all feel alone quite, you know, when we're, and we're all trying to fit in. And when our child is struggling, I think many times we feel like other kids are doing better and that other people are doing better. And so I think what surprised people about this book, several people have said, I thought you had your life together. Like I, I like people will say, I just had no idea that you were dealing. Even my husband wow. was, you know, said I was not available enough. Like he didn't use the word available. available. <laughs> he just said, I feel like I really missed a lot that was going on. And that I think that that's the beauty of writing is that we can, you know, my teacher said, write, you know, worry later about filtering yourself. Uh, we'll help you with, you know, there were some chapters that I did not include, few of them primarily because it would have been too hard for Will. and. I, you know, that was really good feedback. I couldn't see what was going too far and what wasn't. And that's what good editors are about. But um, my point is like someone, my husband, I was very close with, there was a lot he didn't know. And I think I, I just encourage people if find a creative outlet that you can express yourself in because we need it so much. Yes, yes. When you yeah. were a young mother raising Will, and you were sort of seeing whispers in his development, maybe that, you know, he wasn't maybe fitting in with the masses. Yeah. Could you talk about that a little bit? In the book, you talked about, you know, your flight to Dublin, which yeah. sounded like a nightmare. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think it could be with any child that age, yes. in particular, maybe a child with some uh, ADHD, but maybe what was it like for you as a psychologist, you know, you'd studied in this area and then you see some of the pieces unfolding developmentally. What um, were you thinking or what was that like? I mean, I think you could probably relate a little bit as a psychologist in that we can't help but notice certain things. You know, yes. I'm not out and about looking for OCD, but, you know, if I see someone in a parking lot I've seen people do things back and forth and back and forth when they're doing, you know, you can see, oh, 
that person kind of struggling with OCD. I mean, if someone's like, <laughs> you see things that look, ex you know, so I couldn't help but see a lot of his symptoms. And yet my denial was quite thick about, okay. yeah, it was really interesting. Like I, I saw certain symptoms. I felt so exhausted. So it was validating. My father said, hun, you know, it's Texan man was like, he never stops, you know, what's he, he said that boy is either manic or he has ADHD, something, you know, was going on. And he, he, you know, so it was a relief for me to hear that, but it was also like, Oh no, my, my thoughts are validated by someone else. Crap. You know, it was like this mixture yes. of mixture of so each year in the beginning i almost needed a teacher to find it out for herself or himself until you know the first few years of his life and finally i was like this isn't i need to be more open i think i was open but i also held a few things back and i think that's what parents do so much of the time they they tell me they when it's so funny because they'll give me the symptoms my child is if it's autism, they'll tell me my child didn't talk until, you know, he or she was three. My child spun over and over and over and lined things and all of these things. And they'll tell me. So I'll feel like the feedback where I go over results will be in my mind. I'll kind of think this won't be too tough. And then when I say your child has autism, even though the parent knows all these symptoms, it's so tough. So right, right. that's that universal piece that we have as parents is that it's so tough. And yet my role with families is to say, this is, you, you have the same hopes, have the same dream. Your child will be okay with the right support. I, I feel that, that your child with the right help, let people in to help you. Right, right. I feel like part of it, it might be too, it's just sort of, most parents I think are sort of feel like they're just kind of hanging on. They're like doing the best they can yeah. at this point. And so like hearing that diagnosis sort of feels like in some ways is sort of a, a reflection of their own insecurity of like, I'm not sure I can manage anymore. Like I, instead of maybe sort of pivoting and saying, maybe what it means is now that you we have some words or some language around it we can figure out how to navigate the support you need yeah i think it's a huge relief when the even at this stage in my life you know being 51 when i get back involved in counseling maybe i'm at a point where i'm you know things are going really well and then i reach a parenting point or a marital point or something where i'm just Oh, I'm not quite sure how to manage this. And then I let someone in professionally and say, this is what's going on. I'm so relieved to yes. have someone walk beside me who is a professional. It's, it's so, and I, I haven't done enough of that in my life at different points. I've really just been like, I'm going to grind through this. I've read so many books. I'm, I'm going to grind through this. And, and so that I would just say to people, consider very strongly when you're exhausted and you're not sure what to do, you know, just take the chance of getting somebody to help you. And if that person just seems like it's not the right fit, find somebody else. Find somebody else. 
Yeah. Were there, do you feel like there's a, like a signature moment where you were able to embrace Will's diagnosis or do you feel like that sort of happened over time? Like every year, maybe you, you embraced it more or less or. I'm still in the process really, because he's now a young adult and I, I fully, you know, embracing the diagnosis is no longer, um, or accepting the diagnosis is no longer an issue. I don't think, I think it, I accept about that. Yeah. Yeah, Let's talk about that because one of the things that I, I see too is that professionally and personally is that it's so hard for people to consider the possibility that their child has ADHD. And I don't know if that's because a fear of medication Hmm. or a fear of you know, how they see this trajectory of how they feel other people will see their child? Yeah. And every child with ADHD is so different. Like we say in the field, like if you've met one child with ADHD or autism, you've met one child. One what, child, you know, yes. Right. I mean, they're so different. Um, the This commonality with ADHD, of course, especially if it's the hyperactive impulsive or the combined presentation where you've got the inattention, hyperactivity and impulsivity that are getting in the way significantly of functioning. I mean, obviously when you see someone who's moving a ton, that's a real similar challenge. But um, I think the acceptance is, there's, there's so much unknown. And so that's why one of the things that I'm also working on a lot and that I work on with teenagers that I see for counseling, I integrate a lot of different, like there's a book by, uh, I'm sure I'm slaughtering his name, Thich Nhat Hanh. It's called Peace is Every Step. And the Buddhist who writes about Christ and Buddhism and all kinds of things, but he speaks a lot about trying to have peace and you know, when our feet touch the ground, they kiss the earth and just lots of really wonderful metaphors about having peace in our lives. So that it's, it's an ongoing work in process to have peace around our own child's struggles. And it's so much of our own personal work at being able to walk beside our child or anybody who's struggling, right? So I feel like yes, parents, yes. there's so much like there's an, many parents will say they're offended with the psychologist working with them. But I try to explain that this is a family diagnosis. This is a, many times a parent has it as well. And it's so important to work on yourself too, so that you can have the strength to help your child. Yes. I, I found a few threads in there I want to pick up. Yeah, so I feel like maybe what you're saying in terms of the fear, like the, I have this fear that my child might have this or this is what they're going to say, and you saying that that, that might be a piece of the parental work of like how can I cope with this fear and how yeah. can I sort of empower myself? Because I was thinking even with medication or any kind of step you take as a parent <clears> – <throat> I'm like, you can always change your mind, right? Like yes. you, you can try a strategy and monitor it and it's either going to be helpful or not. And you can change course. Yes. And I think it's helpful to kind of remind parents that that is, that that can happen. 
You will change course most likely. I mean, like I say to families, I'm giving you feedback. I have a lot of recommendations. I can help prioritize the first three for you or four for you that I think if this was my child, this is what I would be thinking. And you can, this is all your, these are your results to do with what you want. You can, I think it, I encourage parents to share it with the school because so much of this will, in my opinion, help the child in school. So many of the recommendations about sensory needs and all of that. But again, and I also say, I hear your concern around medication. And as a provider, I am ethically required or in my mind it's the most ethical step for me to talk with you about what i've seen and what the research has shown to be really helpful and 70 to 80 percent of kids benefit from medication for adhd so i want to talk with you about it and i want to talk with you and tell you that you can go to a just to an informational medication session you can talk with a provider that is really skilled at medication with you know just gather just gather information about the meds even if you're feeling pretty sure that you won't make that choice so that's how i approach it i love that do you think that children who have adhd have some awareness that their will is separate from their capacity i noticed in your book you, you were talking about ha- trying to help Will write thank you notes to, yeah. <laughs> for gifts, which I totally related to. I related to the idea of like looking at your child's birthday present table oh. and calculating how many thank yous in your mind you have to write. Okay. Oh, so yeah. I just like laughed out loud when I read that. But the, the more meaningful point I want to get to is, you know, Will says to you, my brain hates these notes for some yeah. reason. And yeah. And it was just like, yeah, like maybe that they're saying to themselves, I can't stop talking. I want to yeah. stop talking, but I can't. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love about working with children with ADHD is they will tell me, I say, I do a lot of open-ended questions and I say, how, what is it like for you when you're in class and you're trying to do your work? Can you put me in your brain for a second. And so those questions often are embedded in my evaluations because I want teachers or parents and the child will say, my eyes are pulled around the room or they'll say these things to me. Um, I try and then I have to look at the, I hear something in the hallway and then it's so hard for me to get back to doing my work. And by the time I get back, the class is over and then I have no idea what I'm supposed to do and then, you know, or whatever it is. And they'll describe all of these things to me. And one of the things I'm really also learning by listening to podcasts and really working on me as how do I become a better listener as a parent? How do I, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about compassionate listening. And so I think, well, how can I be a compassionate listener? And I'm always trying, you know, many times I'm like, you know what? I just feel like I, I'm not in that place to do that. Maybe if I'm really yes. frustrated with something, I'm not saying that, that but, but if I'm really intentionally wanting to learn, then I will sit and think, how can I learn about this? And I, I feel like those are the things I want in assessments 
or in therapy sessions. I try when I'm meeting with a parent and their child to really pull that information out. Yes, yes. I was listening to, and I was wondering if this will be part of your work, an advocate talking about ADHD and helping kids figure out how to share with other people what it's like to have ADHD. And one of the things he talked about, which just blew me away, was the sense of time that like Mm. people know how to feel time. Like you kind of have a sense, like did a minute go by or was it 30 minutes? And if you don't have that capacity, we're like, you know, you just feel like what you were sort of describing with that child, like all of a sudden the class is over. Yeah. And how anxiety provoking that would be. And then to be not feeling time and someone has said to get your shoes on. And so then you're sitting there messing with the laces in part because your motor skills are behind and you're not sure how to get the laces on. So many parents get Velcro shoes, but So that child is sitting there and then suddenly someone comes over and is like, I said to get in the car. How how stressful that, you know, that child is then like, because the parent is like, oh my gosh, like I can't take this anymore. And so that, and then parents will have so much grief, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this diagnosis. And I do, and I, again, there, there's a lot of forgiveness in this piece. Children, if you talk openly with your child and explain, I don't under, you know, I'm trying to learn about this too. Really, there's so many opportunities for, children will forgive your, you know, your lack of knowledge, you know, this is why it's so important when parents say, I don't want to, I think my child will feel really stupid if we talk about that. I don't want my child to feel different. It's sort of like, I don't want my child to see race. I don't want my child to see that someone, I mean, we don't see race. Well, you know, it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's important to talk about race. It's important in my opinion to say, you know, you have ADHD and this is what, these are the things that we're learning and this is the things that are hard, you know, just, and parents need someone to help them walk that path. Right. And it would be such a good way to sort of also explain to the child, maybe why people are getting so frustrated too. Yes. Like this is really not about who you are as a person, yeah. you know, kind of managing it, sort of saying people are are frustrated and this is why they're frustrated and we want to try to educate them and some people are going to get it and some people aren't. Right. I, I have a family member who is a, is a younger family member of mine right now who has ADHD and she was talking with me about some of the sensory things that are hard for her. So she wears a lot of the same, her mom buys her multiples of different clothing items, but, but they, it might look as though she's wearing the same clothes. Right. And, but, but obviously five of the same shirts and, you know, so she was talking to me about that and she was saying how she's been teased around wearing the same clothes. And, and I was saying to her, you know, you may have, you are going to find friends who don't care what you wear, who love you for you, who, and it's true, you know, her friend pool is smaller. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. a lot of kids who, but 
I know the kids who will be her friends. I mean, I know kids like that because they'll tell me their best friends are what they'll say. My friends don't care if I say something, you know, stupid. They, they just, they, they care about me anyway. They love me. Yes. They love me anyway. And I felt that for my relative. I was just, you know, it makes me sad, but I also know there's a lot of kids out there who won't care. That won't care. Right. Yeah. That will be really, truly genuine friends and probably have more of a sort of an enriched friendship, I think, or has the potential. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think many of these kids either have a developmental difference themselves or they've been raised with a sibling who does. So they understand they don't care. They see their sibling put on the same, you know, <laughs> yeah. joggers, the same stuff. And they, they just don't care. They know that their sibling's wonderful. They, they think, who cares if you wear fashionable stuff or not? It doesn't matter. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, Catherine, where I, I, we're coming to a close and I was wondering, where can people buy your book or yeah. learn more about you and your services? Okay. So my book is on Amazon and okay. that's probably the easiest way to buy it. I've had it on my website, you know, but I, and it's certainly people can, there's a link to Amazon, but go to Amazon, look up my book. If you like it, give it a review. That's always a really special thing that I didn't realize. Now I give reviews so much more that I'm an author, yes. but, um, it's so really can, important. Yes, it is. It is. So you can buy it there. It is in a few Barnes and Nobles in different places, but the best place is on Amazon. Okay. And to find out, to work with me, you can go to my website at KQADHDNU. And it's the letter U, not the word Y-O-U. Go to my website, look up my name also. You can look up my name and it'll bring you to my website. There's a lot of different links to my YouTube channel and lots of things, but go to my website and then there's a work with me page. There's also a contact page there. I have a 15 minute free consult that I give families. And so you can call me and I'm not going to try to muscle you into working with me at all. That's not my style, but I'll just give you some free advice and direct you because I'm, I'm just passionate about supporting parents. And that's, that's a great part about being at my point in my life because I don't have to advertise much for business or anything like that. And I, I just want to, I want people to feel that they can talk to someone about what's going on. Yeah. Wonderful. Great. Thank Thanks. you so much. It was so fun. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I need to alert you that this podcast is not meant to be a substitution for mental health treatment. Although we talk about psychotherapy, this is not your psychotherapy. If listeners are interested in pursuing therapy, I would refer you to psychologytoday.com backslash US or your insurance carrier network. Okay, thanks again. Until next time.